Home. They say it's where the heart is. They also say it's wherever you make it. They don't say it's where you unload your stuff, get tired halfway through unpacking, use some boxes as furniture, realize your oven mitt's in a box that doubles as a nightstand, don't want to buy a new nightstand, and use a towel as an oven mitt instead. But no matter where you call home, GEICO makes it easy to bundle and save on renters and car insurance. Easier than grabbing a piping hot pan with a towel that's a bit too thin and trying to quickly get it to the counter. Ooh, hot, 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 hot. This episode is brought to you by Verizon. Get a Verizon Business Unlimited plan from the network businesses rely on. Hey, Monica, with 5G Ultra Wideband in many more cities, you get up to 10 times the speed at no extra cost. Hello, downloads in no time. Plus, unlimited premium data and hotspot data to keep the signal flowing and your teams going. Come in or book an appointment with a Verizon business expert to find the right plan for your team. 5G Ultra Wideband available in over 1,700 cities with Business Unlimited Pro 2.0 smartphone plan. Speed comparison is to median Verizon 4G LTE speeds. Download speeds may vary depending upon network and coverage conditions and content optimization for 5G Ultra Wideband. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back to the Benzinga Cannabis Hour. I am one of your hosts, Patrick Lane. And joining me, drawing the short straw and having the co-host with me today is none other than Javier here. <laughs> welcome, brother. Welcome, welcome, welcome. How you doing? I'm great. I'm great. I had a vacation. I've been off for a couple of weeks, but I'm back. I feel recharged. I feel ready to go. I feel ready to solve some problems, pass legalization myself. I don't care. Let's let's roll, man. Let's do this. No, man, you look great. I remember the I, I saw you uh, on camera the day you were back from vacation, and and I defined you as silky. You were just Ooh, you know, silky. I, yeah, I, well, I remember, that that could have like been the leftover edibles, so that could also <laughs> have been that. But but I, I appreciate it. Felt that. Like if, 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 some wind caught you, you would just fly away, you know, like. <laughs> thank you, thank you. I honestly, I do feel as though I'm flying high right now. I feel like we are in a good spot right now, leading into uh, the, the last quarter of the year almost. God, can you believe third quarter is almost over? It's been a crazy year, but as you say, you know, we're riding high, high in life, high in success, and high on gratitude of being safe. <laughs> yeah, no kidding, no kidding. Well, yeah, man, what about you? How are you? I'm doing great. I am honestly doing great. Excited about our show today. About a show. About a show next week on ETFs. That's so, gonna be fun. Get it rolling. Who do we have today? The first guest is Mark Passerini, and as we are moving him over, Mark is the CEO of Mission Cannabis. Um, I will let him explain his his uh, trajectory here. There he is. Wow. Fellow Look at Mr. that. Gander. Hey guys. Look at that background. You are the coolest person we've had on here yet. This is my basement, also uh, known as my home office. Also that, my insane asylum. That, oh, geez, we all need one of those. We all need one of those, man. That is cool. So what, what do you have on the walls? Is this memorabilia? What is this? It is. It's a little bit of a uh, kind of a cannabis museum in some sense. I've got uh, memorabilia from the past decade plus of, uh, of the cannabis world, yeah. Wow. Wow. There was something like your favorite item. Oh boy. There, there really is no favorite item, but, uh, I would say, well, this is kind of cool. I just found this the other day. This is our, so five or six years ago, we had the best capsule game in the nation. We had 25 capsules available with basically every, like so many different formulations from we had a three, two, one, which was 60 milligrams of THC, 40 milligrams of CBD and 20 milligrams of CBN. Great for sleep. Uh, I mean, different, great. Uh, 25 different formulations in here. 
pretty well, uh, you said that was from 10 years ago no this is actually from five or six years ago and i okay. feel like this is still I, I still have yet to walk into a dispensary that has more than two or three capsules these days i feel like this is uh i don't see them often i really don't no for some why reason, is that it's a good question. I, you know, I mean, I, personally, I would rather have a capsule than, uh, you know, intake a bunch of sugar and, and, you know, rice crispy treats and brownies and all that kind of stuff. If I'm going to, if I'm going to have a treat, I'll, you know, I'll go to the, the bakery or the, <laughs> the snack food aisle instead of, but yeah, so I'm not sure. I think someday it'll, it'll come back around. Very cool. Okay. Okay. No. So, so Mark, tell us a little bit because you have an interesting trajectory, the ohm of medicine into mission cannabis and its relationship with forefront and i'd love i'd love the audience to just hear about you and how you got into all this sure um yeah so you mentioned dome of medicine that was a, a dispensary that my partner and i founded back in 2010 um, which makes us the longest i believe we're the longest continually operating cannabis retailer this side of the mississippi we opened back then with the intent really to focus on three things. We wanted to focus on the patient experience, uh, the medical research, and community engagement. Um, also, of course, an overarching goal of dismantling the war on drugs, uh, and we did that by engaging politically. Um, so the Ohm of Medicine has a uh, distinction of being the only cannabis dispensary in the country that's partnered with a major university, the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor, on an IRB-approved study which was eventually published in the Journal of Pain in 2016. That study found a 64% decrease in opioid use amongst the hundreds of patient participants. Wow. Um, fast forward to 2018, we got licensed finally. We were operating in a somewhat of a legal gray area for a long time, much like the California market was for, for decades. And we were acquired by four. Front. So currently, I am the executive vice president of Mission Dispensaries, which is the retail arm of Forefront Ventures. Forefront started in 2011 as a consulting company, which helped clients win over 65 licenses uh, around the country before we pivoted to operating the facilities ourselves. So we currently operate eight dispensaries in four states under the mission name. Very cool. Very cool. And so what's the significance of the Ohm of Medicine? What should we know about that? Yeah, so my partner and I wanted to really create a space that was uh, welcoming, that was unique. Um, we really wanted to focus more on uh, Eastern medicine as opposed to Western medicine. Um, so we figured Ohm of Medicine kind of encapsulated all of that. Uh, my partner actually has an Ohm symbol tattooed on his back. So it was... Uh, it made for it made for a, a good fit. Plus, there's a there's a ton of wordplay we can use with Ohm. We say that there's no place like Ohm. Ohm is where the art is. Uh, you know, there's a million of them. I'm not gonna bore. I you. like it. I like yeah. it. So wait, you didn't go. You didn't opt for the tattoo. You didn't. You didn't dive dive in head first. Got it. Got it. Not yet. Maybe it's the food. forefront tattoo that you'll get then. Right. Right. There we go. There we go. <laughs> There's a, there's a relationship also with mission. I, I, I see like there's some something kind of holistic in both words, like you know like Om is 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 you know tied to the uh, Hindu religion and mission. It makes us very much think of of someone you know an evangelist. And and in, in this case, you were the evangelists. I feel uh, at least in, in Michigan, from what I know of of the many virtues of cannabis and, and you know, what, what you bring up about the opioid study. Again, it's, it's something that nowadays is in everyone's mouths and everyone quotes as, you know, their big argument, but you were doing it early. Like, how did you even come to do that? How did you get UM to, to agree to collaborate and, and, and researching weed? You know, we can call it cannabis, but it 2016, it, it was, pretty controversial. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, we actually started the study back in 2014. Um, and, and just to go back to Ohm and Mission, uh, I won't bore you by by reciting my entire rap, but I've written a rap song called the Ohm Mission. Of Wait, <laughs> how, how, how the hell did I end up on this show with two rappers? <laughs> Wait a second, Javier, you rap? I do. I also wrote a rap about cannabis and ended I up love it. with uh, Wu-Tang Clan and Twista. 
a story for some other time. There's no way we don't oh. get the two of you up here on a podcast rapping at some point. No way we don't make that happen. Only if you beatbox, Patrick. Uh, don't tempt me, but also nobody wants to hear that. <laughs> so wait, listen, I, I'm super interested. I think retail is one of the hottest sectors right now in terms of what I'm hearing from, especially from investor interest, right? Um, what's your take? I'm always interested in this, this one question and you being an operator in Michigan and then signing on with uh, a company like Forefront with multi-state operations, right? Mm-hmm. What do you think the, the major differentiator is between companies who choose the sort of multi-state um, operation versus companies like a TrueLeave who do one state, focus on one market? And, and I know that some of this is, is, is hypothetical, right? But when it comes to how you choose to grow your dispensaries and how Forefront's choosing to grow their dispensaries, um, why, why, why one versus the other, I guess, is the question. Why an MSO versus a uh, SSO, a single state operator? You're Ooh, has anybody has anybody coined that SSO? Yeah, SSO, I wasn't. <laughs> is that a thing? I like that. You know, I heard something similar. It wasn't SSO. I forget what it was. A a single state operator is I forget, but uh, sure, I may have just coined it. I don't know. <laughs> I like that. Let's remember that. But yeah, that yeah, that would be it. So so I mean, you you were a, a in a single state, right? And yeah. and you chose Correct. to jump into a a big company with multi-state operations. Any reason why you might've chosen to go that route? Mm-hmm. You know, I think the biggest reason is uh, we re- our values aligned with missions and forefronts and, and forefront really was born, like I mentioned, out of a, uh, a consulting group um, and their consulting group helped about 65 applicants around the country to win licenses. And they, they really were in 2011, 2012, the the leading uh, uh, consultant and and when it comes to understanding different markets, um, you know I think that that's that's a obviously played a huge leg up uh, for us in, in choosing um, who we would be partnering with and you know forefront and mission have definitely over the years um, been successful in a variety of different states because as you guys know and and I'm sure everybody on this uh, on this call or podcast or whatever you call it. Um, it's, it's difficult to navigate all the different states. I mean, it's, it's vastly, the regulations are vastly different from state to state. And, um, you know, for us, it was, uh, it was an easy decision. We knew a few people at Forefront, Chris Crane uh, being one of them. And it was, uh, it just made sense to us. And, you know, obviously the more, the more states that come on board, the more, the, the more we can spread this out, the quicker the, uh, the industry thrives as a whole. Very cool. Thank you, man. Thank yeah. you. Are, are you looking at any specific states next? Is it something you can disclose? I understand, of course, there's public company disclosure, you know, limitations, but let's talk, you know, generally, which states do you sure. think are interesting? Sure. Yeah. Um, well, there's every state is interesting for their own reasons. Um, but I would say that, you know, we're definitely looking at, 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 um, growing in the states that we're currently in. That's, that's number one. So in the short term, we're looking at adding a second retail store in Chicago. Um, and that is on track for the very end of this year. Uh, we're looking at adding a, uh, a facility in uh, Massachusetts, in Brookline. Um, we're also on the, on the other side of the business, on the cultivation and processing side, we're looking at uh, opening a facility in California. California is definitely very you know, appealing. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. California is one of those markets where, you know, you, you, we've, we've almost become too used to what's going on in that market. And, you know, they were, they were one of the first movers and yet, you know, we almost don't hear a whole lot except from the, the giant brands and, and those folks who are, are well entrenched in that market. So um, I, I suppose one of the things that really interests me right now is obviously, you know, in the midst of a global pandemic, in the midst of, of, things changing rapidly day in and day out for retailers, you know, what has it been like for you guys in, in some of these, these different markets that you're in, you know, curbside delivery, um, how, how has that affected your strategies? Have you seen certain products moving to the, 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 the top of the basket list for some of these clients? Uh, what does that look like? 
So yeah, I mean, COVID obviously has affected uh, our operations. I mean, I think it's uh, affected all, you know, almost 8 billion of our lives around the globe. Um, but our stores in particular have, you know, we've seen definitely seen a significant increase in sales uh, going from an illegal act to an essential service in a, in a matter of six months has really opened the eyes of many new consumers as, as to the, the, um, the safety of the plant, I think. And, you know, let's not forget that what we're discussing here is objectively one of the most non-toxic substances known to man. So over the, uh, over the past few months, I think more and more folks are starting to be a little bit more comfortable with uh, really um, delving into the cannabis world, trying new things for the first time. Um, when it comes to products, I think uh, vapes and edibles are becoming a little, not a little bit, but a lot more popular. Um, it's a very easy way to consume and, and for people that are brand new to cannabis, um, it's an it's a easier way to figure out what your dosage is, um, understand how to uh, you know, appropriately work with um, not only the methodology, but you know, what you're trying to address. Uh, one thing that you know, we definitely have not lost sight of at Mission and Forefront is the fact that you know, this was born out of a movement. This industry was born out of the medical movement, and we don't want to lose sight of the, uh, the fact that this is the medical efficacy of this plant is real. And I think more and more people are starting to realize that this is uh, this could be an alternative to a number of things, not just opioids, like we mentioned earlier, but down to things like Ambien, if you have trouble sleeping. Um, so I think, yeah. you know, baskets have definitely changed a little bit, less flour. Um, I mean, over the past 10 years, we've seen that, that same trend. Uh, when we opened, we were probably selling 95% flour, whereas today it's, that's probably cut in almost half. Wow. And has that uh, product distribution changed even more during COVID? As you said, well, yeah, edibles and vape pens. But here's, here's what I'm thinking. Today we published an article, it's an analysis on, on the Colorado market and how it has changed in recent months. And one of the largest trends we've seen in, in, you know, from, from analyzing purchases is a, a migration from adult use to medical. You know, a lot of people are going back to the medical use because of the pricing benefits, because of the variety of products, you know, and before it was like, yeah, getting a card is a bit, bit of a hassle, you know, to save a couple hundred bucks a month. Nowadays, a couple hundred bucks a month are a big difference. But, you know, maybe you don't have such a, a clear distinction when it comes to retail there. So my question is, have you seen a change in products? Yeah, I mean, you mean from, from uh, pre-COVID to COVID, a change in products? Yeah, I mean, throughout COVID, have you seen a migration of many users who self-identified as adult users toward a more medical use? Is it something you can measure? Yeah, well, no, I mean, it's, uh, it's definitely something we can measure. Um, we, you know, we at all of our stores really encourage all of our customers to, to really search out, not search out, but um, uh, research the, the medical benefits and, and figure out a way for them to get their cards. Because like you said, it's, it's not just the amount of products that they have available to them, but it's oftentimes a lot cheaper. Uh, at least in Michigan, it's 10% cheaper because there's a 10% tax on the adult use market. Um, but when it comes to, to the products, I think on the, on the adult use side uh, for COVID, more people are going towards edibles, especially because you know, COVID is, uh, ideally you don't wanna be smoking, you don't wanna anything that you're inhaling, um, but it's a, uh, you know, I would say capsules, <laughs> believe it or not, capsules have actually uh, had a little bit of an uptick um, when we- yeah, they, they feel like traditional medication. Right, like right. it's easier it's, for me to go to my 72 year old mother and say, you know, you feel, you're not feeling great. Here's a capsule. It looks exactly like ibuprofen. Let's not mention a brand, you know, but it looks exactly like what we're used to, right? To seeing in a pharmacy. So I, I it does not surprise me. Yeah, we're, we're actually seeing that with our, our Verdure line of capsules. Um, we have different formulations for, you know, THC, CBD, a combination of both. Um, and the more people I think learn about the, uh, the benefits of, you know, really titrating their dosage, um, it, it makes it a lot easier. 
Um, but on top of that, you know, with COVID, obviously curbside and delivery were game changers. Um, Pre-COVID, delivery was so taboo, at least in the state of Michigan and probably most states. Um, but now it's it's the norm. Um, and it reminds me, you know, 10 years ago when people walked into our facility, how their eyes would light up and you'd, you'd see this joy in people that they could not believe that they were actually in a, uh, a facility that would legally, well, sort of legally, it was again, a gray area, um, sell them cannabis. Whereas now you walk up to somebody's door and it's that same, that same elation uh, that people just can't believe that, you know, they're actually able to go on to a pocket computer and place an order for all these different products. And then 30, 40 minutes later, freaking fast, it shows up at their door. It's like Publisher's Clearinghouse, man. You're there <laughs> with, with the cannabis instead of the giant check and balloons and the Ed McMahon. So we'll, we'll right. take it. Well, listen, in the, in the last minute or so that we have, um, is there anything that you want to tell us, anything that you're excited about uh, moving forward with Mission and Forefront? And if not, give us your prediction on legalization. I think it's a great way to end. I think the election's coming up. I always like to ask that question. Yeah, well, um, there's a number of different things I would say uh, that, I, you know, one of the things, and we, we touched on it earlier, um, many adult use retailers, I think these days, have really somewhat, not ignored, but put aside the medical benefits since they've transitioned. And one of the most important things to remember is this, even though many states are making that pivot to serving adult use customers, we really need to keep a focus on the plant's medicinal benefits. Imagine how much it would benefit the, the recreational market by focusing on wellness and not just what the consumers are purchasing, but, but why they're purchasing them. Um, I really truly believe that that'll help uh, accelerate the whole process of acceptance, which would help the industry, the consumer, uh, its investors, uh, tax revenue, and the planet as a whole. You know, when it comes to um, one of the things that we've seen in, in Michigan's marketplace is we've seen a lot of support at the highest levels. Uh, the governor, the attorney general, our state representatives and senators, um, even one of our Congress people have come out in support of legalization and spoken at the annual hash bash on Ann Arbor's uh, University of Michigan campus. So I, I truly think that, uh, you know, with keeping the focus on, on political outreach, on medical uh, research, that would... Uh, be a game changer. And, and what we hope to do as a company, you know, one thing that we've always, uh, we've really strived for is to be leaders in the, in, in the movement and really try to, try to uh, inspire our customer base to do the same. You know, when it comes to really changing laws and changing policies, it's not easy, obviously, you know, but, but the policymakers and legislators work for us. And, and we as advocates and operators, industry people, we're the experts. So we can't leave policy in the hands of the uninformed. Um, you know, I'm the vice chair of the Michigan Cannabis Industry Association. Our president at Mission, Chris Crane, is the vice chair of the NCIA, and he sits on the policy council. And as many know out there, many out there know, um, the MORE Act, which would decriminalize cannabis federally, is scheduled to be voted on in the House floor this month. So, you know, just imagine if 1% of our customer base called their congresspeople to demand that they vote yes. I think that, you know, federal progress doesn't come easy, obviously, but with a laser focus on mobilizing the community, we can, we can definitely make it happen. Love that. Since you mentioned reaching out to politicians and Governor Whitmer, if any of you are in Michigan, we strongly suggest you reach out to Governor Whitmer and ask that they pardon Michael Thompson. If you don't know about his story, he's the longest serving uh, nonviolent cannabis offender, and he contracted COVID in prison during you know, the, last month. So if any of you have doubts on how to reach out and how to help, please email us at cannabisnewsadbenzinga.com and we'll make sure to guide you and connect you with the Last Prisoner Project. Uh, I'm sorry you plugged that, but you know, it just- No, no, well, thinking well it's said, important, well man. said. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely necessary. Well, listen, Mark, thanks for your time today, man. We really appreciate it. We're excited to see where Mission and Forefront go next. Um, and, and we'll be looking for you. Sounds good, guys. All right. Take care. I'm coming over for some memorabilia. <laughs> All, right. All right. Take care. All right. Very cool. I, I feel like I need more glow lights. I feel like I need some more cool lighting in here. And, and you know, it's just a little bland. I have my Peyton Manning picture up on the wall and that's about it. <laughs>
<laughs> we need to get you a, a background and then a virtual background. Those are not great. No, and, no, so lame, so lame. Well, listen, yeah, let's we'll, we'll get let, you a vertical cannabis grow for both of your doors. Oh, thank, I will actually take that. That would go to actually very good use in my home. So that would be great. Um, next up, Mr. Michael Gruber, one of the managing partners at Salvio Capital. And as we move him over, Salvio is one of those, those companies we've heard about for a long time. Uh, I'm excited to get Michael in here. Tell us about the landscape. Tell us about what's going on in Illinois and other markets. Um, but yeah, Michael, are you with us? I am. Here I am. How's it going, man? Pretty good. How uh, is life? Where are you today? I'm uh, in Chicago, just north of Chicago. Very cool. Very cool. I, and I, I don't have I don't have all that great memorabilia as uh, Mark had, but but hey, I, I I'm in a house of six people running around trying to find the right space to uh, stream at the same time. So uh, I had to pick a place uh, after running back to the house. So thank God you. bless you. <laughs> six people, uh, kids, family. Four kids, yeah. Four kids. Oh wow, wow. And are they in school? Are they doing the virtual schooling? Two are, two are in school in person, and two are virtual. So, yeah. Oh, wow. Wow. Well, God bless you, man. I don't know how the hell you guys are doing it. Our kids are young enough, four, four years old and 10 months old, that we're not quite in the thick of that yet. But um, good oh, luck, okay. man. All right. Thank you. So listen, you guys are some of the OGs in the space. Let's give the audience just a little flavor of your trajectory here, um, yeah. how, you, how you jumped in, what Salvio is, and what you guys have been, been doing. I like I like the criteria that you use. One of the, the words that Salvio always uses, he, they they say extraordinary. That's what we look for. That's what we aim for. Extraordinary. Oh, like we, okay, I, I didn't even realize that. I'll have to take an extra look. <laughs> you know, thanks for reading between you know between all the lines and uh, really digging in. Um, well, uh, just to give you a quick background, um, you know, one I've been active in the space for you know seven plus years. Uh, first got you know very active in helping some folks launch uh, some of the original licenses within Illinois itself. Um, so it's good you know following on in the conversation with Mark and, and Forefront. I'm you know good friends with the Forefront folks um, and and like them. Um, but you know it, it's through that initial effort uh, that I, I first got involved and worked with a lot of companies of helping position them and raising capital and work with families trying to find places to invest and advise them on merging assets and then you know really got deep and started investing in companies and then you know Salveo Capital was was formed with the idea that the industry was was nascent and pretty confusing and there were um, you know folks were still trying to move from the black market to the gray market uh, to the regulated market and it was very unclear who were the right people who were doing things right and it was complicated and for the average person one to have access to the opportunities was hard enough but then two being able to appropriately analyze them and then structure negotiate and then manage the portfolio became even greater um and in you know, a cocktail conversation everybody loved conversation you know loved cannabis like talking about it but you know folks were a little bit slower on the checkbook side so we wanted to really introduce what we thought was one of the, the first ways to introduce professional institutional like quality investing to the space. Um, so I had been, you know, I had been in, involved in investing and advising you know, companies since 2013. We launched um, Salveo at the end of 2016, right after the election, uh, after my partner and I you know, spent a good portion of 2016 really honing in the strategy and building up the relationships with companies where we found enough that we really wanted to do. And, you know, the reality is when we look back to that period of time, um, there weren't that many companies. It was unclear who would be the winners. And we were really focused on capital efficient businesses um, as well as ones that would be less uh, affected by the uncertain regulatory environment, especially when Trump was elected. We then we had AG Jeff Sessions, who was no fan of the industry. Um, so our initial focus was a lot around the ancillary brick, you know, uh, picks and shovels portion uh, of which we made a number of investments there. But then, you know, our intention always was to be very active across the entire ecosystem. So, you know, our portfolio spans from cultivation, manufacturing, retail, brands, then all the technology in between, lab testing, uh, distribution and logistics, 
um, formulations and, and focus on you know pharmaceuticals um, as well as technology itself. So we have a pretty diversified view of the industry, and that's one of our key goals when we work with companies is to build out this leverageable portfolio so that we ha can have some of these companies interact and where we could really help each of them out, whether it's a brand we're pushing through retail or it's manufacturing capabilities that can help our cultivation or anything else. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah, you guys have been some of the OGs, you know, and, and I feel like every time we hear about a company, it's like, oh, yeah, this is how they're connected to Salio or or, or some of these other funds out there. So it's, it's really cool to see that in action, right? <laughs> so I, I guess one of the biggest things that I wanted to talk about with you today is, I mean, obviously everyone knows that there's a capital crunch. There has been for a little while now, you know? So when it comes to where you guys sit and knowing your breadth of knowledge and experience in the industry, what are the opportunities that still exist right now for companies that are raising, for companies that need capital to grow, um, maybe what sectors are most interesting to yeah. you in, in, in that vein when it comes to opportunities out there, but, but maybe give us both sides of that coin. Yeah. Well, you know, I guess one thing I you know like to say is, you know, a lot has changed between, you know, 2016 and 2020. And you know, what I would say is if you look back in tail end of 2018 into the, you know, the, second half of 2019, it was very much a, a seller's market. You know, the power was in the hands of these entrepreneurs and operators. Um, you know, for us as an investor, it feels good to finally be, you know, uh, in, a, in a little bit of a more powerful seat in the sense that um, it is a very shallow constrained capital market and it, it continues to get more and more difficult, I think, for a lot of companies to sort of raise capital. And so I think now is a wonderful opportunity to find companies where you could truly find good value. And what I think was also different in the past, in the early days, there was a lot of sort of innovation happening in terms of the first types of companies providing a distribution service or a POS or anything else. Now, depending on where you are, there's lots of companies that are doing each of those things. So as an investor, what I look at, and I look at the types of investing we'll do now versus before, you really aren't getting paid for risk, right? And, and it makes less sense yeah. to do a lot of the innovation and why, why do a startup when you now have all this history and you understand things, why not go with a more established company who's built out their manufacturing process? It has their distribution in place. It has their executive team. And, and it's really about proving things out. You know, they still may have issues on the, the balance sheet side or the need for capital, but it's the opportunity now to invest in a lot of these companies, which have a, a more clear way about how to improve that company. So I think overall, from a big picture macro point of view, that's one of, I think how we see it and a number of our other uh, fellow investors, you know, how most of us think about it. You know, a lot of us, as you understand, you know, are co-investors in a, in a good number of these companies. There, there's very few companies that where there's a sole investor that doesn't happen. And, and, and the reality is, for a lot of those companies that maybe went that route, you know, they're also feeling the pain and that that one investor may not have now have that capability to, to refund it now. And now they have to go out to fresh capital. So it always does help to diversify sort of the, uh, you know, the investor base that you have. So um, I'll, I'll stop, I'll stop it there. I'm not sure if you have any questions, but then I could go into specific areas and sectors. So something that I was thinking while you were speaking, you know, just, Maybe you can humor me. Uh, yeah. So if you could think of one very successful early investment, say, you know, 2016, you made something that was very exciting. And, you know, you said, good that we bet on this. And then one thing or one idea that you got excited about, and we can leave the company name out of it, but that you say, like, glad we did not invest in this. This was, you know, I was completely off with, with what I expected to see in the market. Well I, well, I think you know one great example, because it you know worked out you know very well for ourselves as well. You know, we were you know very early in the game. We were believers in the power, hopefully, of brands, um, and we were early in the sense of sort of seeing how the Canadian market was evolving, and there was a, a euphoria in Canada to sort of build things. So you know, we were a very you know an early investor in a company, Tokyo Smoke, 
which was really trying to kill, you know, create a brand. Just like, yeah, what, one of these companies, you know? And, I don't know if you heard about it. Yeah, and which, you know, which at that time, it was all about a, a, a vision and a story about them being able to take, and they had paraphernalia in their coffee shops, but the idea was in the future to have kiosks and the order cannabis, um, and then to have stores. Um, but they were able to sell themselves twice, you know, one to Doja, and then one to Canopy Growth, and, you know, at a nice, you know, value, you know, and, you know, now along with Tweed, there are Tokyo smoke stores, but um, luckily that sort of worked out in terms of the vision and the story and, and the euphoria within Canada, you know, at this point in time, it'll be a lot more difficult to just have this brand story without much behind it of actually selling, you know, cannabis that wouldn't happen, you know, here in the U.S. Um, you know, so that, you know, that, that's sort of the story early on and how things have sort of, you know, changed, you know, you know, nowadays, um, you know, just in terms of, you know, how we got more and more sensitive as time went on, I think, you know, we were really interested about how folks were going to consume and the delivery methods. And I, and I think we were, you know, big believers in showing the ubiquity that example PAX was, was starting to have. Um, but we continued to see sort of the valuations continue to go up incredibly high and so yeah so a few times when they were raising capital and even though you know we love the product and we believe sort of in the growth you know we one we were concerned about alternative you know delivering consumption methods but you know whether or not they were going to be able to hold on to that so in, in that instance I, you know i think i'm ha happy at that point in time that we did not you know invest just given it was such a changing world in terms of one the preferences for the types of products one people would use as well as really there's so many different ways to consume now that I think these sort of uh, closed end devices, I think there's, there's lots of closed end devices as well as there's open architecture devices too. And so I think it winds up being difficult and I think there's a market for each of them, but at a certain point you got to see what's the value or how much value there should be. And I think like a lot of companies, they probably got way ahead of themselves from a valuation standpoint. Yeah. That's super interesting. And, and I love it that, you know, that, that's one thing I like about cannabis is we, we look back and reassess and acknowledge, you know, what we got right, what we got wrong. Two years ago, everyone was saying, you know, the way to go, you know, Canadian LPs, right? Like licensed producers in Canada, they're the best stocks. American stocks had nothing to offer. Now everyone is saying, like, oh, we were wrong. Actually, MSOs are the thing. I want to see what happens in five years. Yeah, no, no, you know, that's, that's, that's one thing that we've continually done. I think um, we've always been open, you know, we, we've always had three main focuses. One was, you know, diversification across sort of geography, diversification across stage. And we were pretty open to sort of structure of our investments. And, and we've always been playing into that and sort of seeing where we could fill the gaps and where we weren't. But at the same time, every point in time, we sort of reevaluated what kinds of companies should be reprioritized. And I would say at certain points in times, there's a lot of focus on say brands, or we said, yes, MSOs, or we said, we need to look at different areas. Um, and, and I think you do need to sort of not, not reinvent yourself, but reinvent your sort of priorities and focus uh, because it does change tremendously. You know, I think just like now, I think there's an interesting period of time because there's really a changing of guard of, of licenses as well as, you know, the private MSOs themselves because a lot of them got ahead of themselves in terms of grabbing up assets, but then they didn't have enough money to sort of build out. And so now you could peel off some of those licenses in certain states. And that gives opportunities to the larger, strong MSOs to pick and choose those licenses yeah. or whether it be me or others to sort of recreate the new private MSO or SSO, which makes more sense. There it is, the SSO. No, but yeah, just I heard I heard your comment before. SSO has has been around for a while, so it wasn't sort of just invented now. It's, oh damn! Okay, it's, it's something that's going around for a while. Yeah. Well, that's good. Well, what one thing I want to circle back to? Um, you, you mentioned recreating a private MSO or or SSO, right? And and you know going back to the to the drawing board, but with all the experience that you have, yeah. and and you mentioned um, choosing as an investor to use that experience. To focus more on on established companies with the things that are going right that you've seen that maybe didn't go right before, right? In some of the the seed rounds that you 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 were involved with. So for those companies starting out now, right? Those companies coming to to the table and innovating and 
and they're looking for a seed round or, or, uh, or what have you, what do you say to those guys? What advice do you give them? Um, even if they're not right for you, who should they go after? What should they be doing? Um, how, how can you, how can we help them in their infancy? Um, well, but number one, what is the, you know, a rule for any, you know, industry, but one, number one is you, you gotta, you gotta be a re realistic one with, you know, expectations and two, um, setting values that make sense or, and, and sort of grounded in sort of reality. You know, I, I was involved in, you know, being asked to help out with companies or looking at companies where you just sort of see expectations and valuations of things, which just are ridiculous when you have nothing, you have something on the piece of paper. So, so I think folks have to realize that because if you go into it with the wrong set of a starting point, you totally lose these people and you probably then lost them for good because you've lost your credibility. That's number one, you know, two is, which I think is, you know, proven, to be the case is when you have access to the money or folks are willing to give you money even more than what you may be willing or initially wanted, you sort of try to take it where you can. Obviously there's a balance of dilution, but especially in these times right now, you take as much money as you can. And then the third is really just about capital efficiency and really thinking out how you could get up and start operating and generating cash. The sooner the better, I think grow from a point of strength and operations versus a standing point and not doing anything. Mm -hmm. um, as an example, you know, whether or not it was smart or not, you know, cause people did it in different ways in Illinois, you know, Illinois, when the first licenses were granted for cultivation, there was no cap on the amount of square feet, et cetera. Um, but it was a new medical market and folks didn't know. Some folks built pretty big facilities. Some bought, you know, built out smaller facilities. No one knew how big the market was. It turned out to be a really shitty market. You know, terrible, was tough on patients and all sorts of things. But those folks who sort of built up small and didn't take on a lot of debt, you know, they, they pittered along for, you know, three, you know, plus years. Finally, lucky enough, that wreck, you know, took hold. And now, based on the, the backs of good cash flow, as well as new money coming in and being excited, they're now building out the stuff and doing well. If, if they got 20, 30, $40 million in debt, they've been having trouble. They weren't able to expand either within the state or in other markets. Um, you know, and, I, and, I, and I've seen that in other areas as well. Like, you know, here you guys are in, in Michigan. You know, I, I, I've been pitched. I love Michigan. It's nearby. I spend a lot of time in the summer there, et cetera. But, you know, I, you know, I continue to be pitched by this one group as an example, which just talks about, you know, immediately it's going to be, you know, 25 million the first year and then the 70 million, et cetera. It gets, it just gets really difficult. Um, sure. You know, so that, that, that's, you know, it really, I think, I think you just have to, you know, sort of baby steps. You can have the big picture and vision, but I think folks need to be able to show the ways that you'll get to that end goal and, and, and have an ability to do that. Very cool. Well, thank you, Michael. I really appreciate that. And, you know, I, I, I know you guys have been around, you know, your, your experience, your wisdom in terms of having gone through these seed rounds and these these uh smaller companies that have grown and become you know some of the largest companies in the space there's a lot of wisdom there to offer so i appreciate you coming on today man we'll be looking for you uh october 15th at our next event man i can't wait to see you there maybe right. we'll get you on a panel or something this time huh a virtual panel right yeah come on a virtual panel we're not we're not messing around we're not right, one get, COVID. i'll get a better background for that one all right you absolutely have to i expect strobe lights or something okay all right, Michael. Thanks a lot, man. We appreciate it. Thanks for joining us. Wish we had more time, man. I know. We I would make love two hours every time we 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 you know finish the uh, and and move on to the next guest. I feel like we needed double the time. I wanted to ask: Is there such a thing as you know being overcapitalized? You know, talk about maturation, about how much you take. You know, things take time, and yes, we were talking do. about. <laughs> Well, you have to believe, right? There's got to be, especially on the investor part, there's got to be a lot, a lot of belief in these companies in order to put money, especially right now during this crunch, right? So, yeah. and maybe our next guest will have something to say. Yeah, talking about maturation, talking about adoption, about things that take time. Our next guest is my very good friend, Sumit Mehta from Mazakali. He's been in cannabis investment banking for quite a while as well. And he'll tell us all about him. Sumit? Are you there? 
as he's getting moved over, I'll say the last time I spoke to Sumit, he was in his backyard. Sumit, oh, there are you in, your, are you in your backyard today? Yeah. I'm in my home office, Patrick. I love doing? it. I love it. He's got the best home office, you guys. It makes me so jealous every time I see it. It's good to see you. And Javier, always good to see you. Mine is pretty sweet too, usually. Just today we have uh, neighbors, I have one neighbor and, and they decided to drill the wall. Like, awesome. Fun. <laughs> that is very helpful. Well, if you yeah, go on mute timing. for a prolonged period of time, we'll know what's going on. <laughs> Sumit, welcome, my friend. Welcome. It's so good to see you. It looks sunny there today. So the, the fog hasn't rolled in yet, has it? It's a beautiful sunny day, Patrick. This is it's like after living in Chicago and going to school in Michigan and being out here is just the best day every single day. Just so it's, it's rub really it in, man. Rub it in. Some of us are still up here in Michigan. It's beautiful now, but I can I, I can sense it getting darker quicker. I can sense it. Yeah. Uh, it's coming. Yeah. Yeah, I've been telling Javi to move out here, so maybe maybe you'll follow. We'll see. Perhaps. Still holding out hope, Patrick. Perhaps. Do you have perhaps. Any, any hikes planned for this long weekend? I know you're an outdoorsy guy. Yeah, yeah. A couple of hikes. I'm going to take my motorcycle out and just enjoy enjoy the great outdoors. Yeah. Okay, so are, you're you're a motorcyclist. I have to ask you: Do you have like the full leather gear? Are are you? Do you I mean, how are we doing? Were you in Sturgis at the giant motorcycle rally? That's my jam, Patrick. Yeah, I knew Sturges, it. Chaps. Um, I knew it, man. Yeah, I, I could sense it. So, yeah. so when we get you on a panel on October fifteenth, you'll have to wear that outfit for us, okay? I will. Yeah, though I'm getting rid of my bike. I bought this uh, World War II replica, this World War Court, World War II sidecar uh, from the oh Czech Republic, God. and that's what I've been driving around. That's awesome. Work. On its, last, uh, on its last few days, but I'm getting rid of it. But yeah, that's that's what I plan to take out this weekend. Very cool, man. Well, listen, welcome. We're excited to have you here. I mean, let's let's dive right in. What sure. what have you seen during this pandemic? What you, you guys are well entrenched in this space. You've been advising companies. You've been you've been looking at deals and helping these deals come to fruition. Um, maybe give us a little flavor of of what Mazakali's. Uh, focused on at the moment um, and then tell us during this pandemic what's what have you seen yeah sure uh, as you guys know I've been looking at the space since 2013 I put my first capital to work in 2014 mm -hmm. so I've seen a few cycles and I can also share that on a relative basis I haven't seen a set of circumstances that are this enticing from an investment standpoint so I started my career in the mid-90s uh, at Merrill Lynch. I was a technology analyst. And back then, technology was an industry. And if you look around now, and you guys know this as well as anyone, uh, technology is a part of every industry. And I view cannabis through the same lens. I believe that cannabis will be the best performing asset class over the next decade. And also that no sector will be untouched by this plant. Uh, so I do expect it to follow a similar trajectory to technology from that vantage point. Uh, and then the second part of your question, you asked what's changed due to COVID, Patrick. And uh, Javi, you mentioned it earlier on this on this happy hour call that the shutdown has caused a significant increase in anxiety. And I think we can all agree that we know, and we might be, many of the people that are finding difficulty even sleeping well at night. So when you have this level of heightened concern for jobs, for income, for the future, and in an environment where it's like you don't hear the word opioid unless you also hear the, the word crisis, mm -hmm. cannabis is a phenomenal way to deal with that stress and the sleep issues. And what are the side effects? Great movies, music, and good food. <laughs> so uh, if you talk, and then if you also look at how it's been deemed essential in most states, that has served as a phenomenally positive tailwind for the industry. And I'm curious, we watch, you asked what Mazakali is doing, we're watching for any statistically valid data on health outcomes in states that have legal cannabis markets relative to ones that don't, and comparing that data to what we're seeing out of the CDC. Because I think that picture will be quite telling in the months to come, and adds mm -hmm. another, another angle, yet another angle, to the multifaceted set of reasons why 
this plan, the government just needs to move. And it was, it's nice to hear Mark getting excited about what might happen. Uh, and I hope he's right. But we have also seen government tax coffers dwindle and cannabis is, as you guys know, the most politically popular industry that yeah. employment generates revenue, offers health benefits. And so in an otherwise challenging business environment, I think cannabis is shining through in a way that we simply haven't seen before. Would you, would you call it recession proof? Would you call it counter cyclical? What's the situation there? I've, I've been asking myself this question for a while. Like what's been going on with the spike, right? What's the correlation with the markets, with the economy? Is there any? Mm -hmm. I would not call it either one of those. I don't think it's counter cyclical because I don't think it has the kind of cyclicality that's tied to economic cycles, nor would I call it recession like reinsurance. Uh, <laughs> what's that? It's like reinsurance. I always like that parallel because it's the most interesting and the most boring industry. And they have this great thing in common. They are completely uncorrelated to the market. That's a fair statement. I would call it recession resistant, essential and uncorrelated as an asset class. I like that. A touch of realism too. And I think that's important. So I, I, I th I'll segue uh, the conversation, Sumit, into... You know, I'm always interested, and especially now, right, given the crunch in the markets and everything that we've seen, you probably just heard us talking with Michael about it, you know, looking at this through the lens of the everyday investor, not the large funds, right, the, the folks that are accredited, the folks with, with, uh, with money in their portfolio to spend, how should they be looking at this industry right now? Through what lens should they be looking at this industry? Are there particular sectors that should be overly enticing? Um, you know, perhaps a better way to, to ask that question, Sumit, is, is the stigma gone for these investors? Do we still need to educate them as a part of, of getting them more involved in these markets? Yes, to all three of those last questions, what do we tell investors? Listen, the legal cannabis industry is large and it is growing quite rapidly and more people are consuming more cannabis for more reasons in more places every day. And if you think about the history of this industry, we're now in our 25th year of legalization in the United States. If you think about when Proposition 215 was first passed in California. And then if you look at the last couple of years in particular, you've seen a very large inflection point in the pace of change in legalization across, across various states. Yeah. So there's no doubt that what started as a trickle a quarter century ago has picked up steam quite rapidly and continues to gain a foothold across the country. And now, if you also think of ultimately legalization from a federal level coming through, then global trade is not a question of if, it's a question of when. And then you look at the 40,000 private companies in our industry, many of whom are doing wonderfully well with valuations that have come down to levels that are far more attractive than they've ever been, with cannabis being deemed essential to further reduce the investment risk, and with markets opening up in exciting geographies with extremely large populations becoming available from a cannabis lens and a cannabis investment lens, I think investors will come and continue to come to this space with a lot of excitement, which is great to see. And what we tell investors is, have a plan in place for how much money you want to allocate, what sectors you find attractive, and what geographic markets you want exposure to. Because the industry has matured enough at this stage to warrant and reward, uh, and I think uh, Michael Gruber said this just prior to me, uh, diversification. So if you have planned diversification of exposure with, uh, with a systematic application of the amount of capital and the cadence of that capital that you want to expose, this industry provides ample growth at very attractive price points. And ultimately, if investing at depressed valuations in an essential recession-resistant asset class with low correlations and many sectors growing north of 30% is attractive, we have all those things in place. So if you're new to the space, yeah. I would also recommend getting a professional advisor and making sure that they're licensed to do what they're doing. And finally, remember to have some fun along the way. 
Yeah, no, it's, I love that, you know, most people talk about diversifying portfolios, but they talk about sectors and you're one of the more international guys. And now it's finally really playing out. You know, you and I have had this conversation many times, but now we're finally seeing actual Colombian exports. Now we're seeing actual tons of cannabis being exported from Uruguay, you know, commerce among European countries, you know, so what are some of the most interesting, you know, geographical markets that you're, you're seeing? I think it's uh, useful to look at what it costs to make cannabis and to then compare it to what this madness that we've seen in the last few years in Canada has been based on and to think about how Canada and the history of the world has never been known as an agricultural mecca for anything with the possible exception of maple trees. But then when you think about what it costs to produce a pound of cannabis and you look at the biggest inputs to that cost, they are labor and their power. So harnessing the power of the sun indoors is why the cannabis industry consumes over 1% of all US electricity and why we have this notion that we have to grow something indoors. Maybe it's related to how we had to hide this from the government. So we had ran inside to grow it. So when you combine that now with the second input cost, which is labor, and you think about where the sun has its maximum power, and that is free, it's equatorial bands around the world. So if you now start thinking about what geographies are likely to be the lowest cost producers of cannabis, now you can see where Colombia, Ecuador, even Thailand, Malaysia, India, and parts yeah. of China all play a very important role. Mm-hmm. And we look at some of the, we also look at some of the cultural historical relationship that these countries and, and areas have had with cannabis. And China, as an example, has never banned hemp. It has been used for thousands of years and millions of hemp-derived products are sold across stores across the country. India has had a multi-thousand-year relationship with cannabis, and it was only banned in 1985 under pressure from the U.S. government. So when you go back into the roots of this plant, the excitement around something grown in a warehouse in Canada just is myopic from a from at least the vantage point that uh, that we we have at the moment. Yeah, no kidding. So you're mm-hmm. saying Ronald Reagan didn't like cannabis, is what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought. So Patrick, um, if you can make it happen, I'd love to have a sit down with uh, with Ronald Reagan. Yeah, so listen, <laughs> one of these days, time. one of these days, someone will innovate a way to do that. Um, yeah. well, in the la- exactly, I, I'll. I'll personally pass on that though. So when it when it comes to Sumit, um, the digital capital platform, I want to give us a, just a couple minutes to touch on this. It's super interesting. I want the audience to hear about it. Um, I know we might be getting involved with, with you on there. So so I'd love to hear more about awesome, it. Awesome, man. I, I've used yeah. it. It's, it's crazy. Yeah, thanks, Patrick. The, uh, you know, I'll start with a couple of things that are on most people's minds as they think about cannabis and think about investing in cannabis. And that is knowledge, because amongst other things, we have relative opacity of information because of the high fragmentation of this industry. Mm. As a newcomer to the industry, it's hard to learn about where to go and who to, who to speak to and who knows what they're talking about and who is who they say they are. And the second is access. Now, even if I knew certain things, what do I do? When fewer than 1% of the industry is trading on an exchange, you've got 99% of the opportunity in the private markets. And those are the two legs we effectively sought out to address with our uh, our capital platform. You guys have been very kind to publish a lot of our research over the years. And we've published now close to 70 green papers since 2016. And that's entirely in uh, our way to help address the knowledge issue and allow for people to get more knowledge simply so that they can make more knowledgeable decisions. And the second part of that is access. And that's where the platform comes in. And effectively, it is a piece of technology that allows for folks to place capital into cannabis and for uh, for issuers to raise capital from those investors all in one seamless function where as an investor, and I've been investing in the space for seven years, 
I'm constantly emailed PowerPoints and then sent to a Dropbox and then maybe sent to DocuSign and being tossed around from all from one place to the next is cumbersome. It's inefficient and it's not fun yeah. for anyone. So the platform is simply a good experience and helps us have all of this happen with the help of technology. And what's behind the platform is our broker dealer where we do all the heavy lifting, where all of the diligence comes in along with our compliance partners to make sure that any company that is on the platform has been fully vetted and looked at by licensed professionals and is then offered in a way that is compliant with all federal guidelines. So we work with the SEC, FINRA and FinCEN to make that happen. And yeah, uh, you did mention you guys are, uh, are helping support that and very much appreciate the fact that this industry is so wonderful that we can collaborate to a much greater outcome than any of us would have it going alone. I'm really glad you said that. That's, that's definitely our MO. Javi has been in this, this space far longer than I have, but I've definitely seen the good and the bad of, of you know, the good of doing that in this industry and the bad of those who choose not to, right? So yeah. I think for the most part, this industry is phenomenal about playing in the same sandbox and getting down and working together for the greater good. So um, I'm getting the hook from our producer, Aaron. So Aaron, you are an absolute slave driver. You're the worst. Uh, and I love you at the same time. But soon, <laughs> you are the best. We've had such a good time with you. I cannot wait to see you again soon. And ideally, we'll get you involved in, in October up uh, moderating a panel or something. Um, but yeah, my friend, thanks for being here. Javi, any, any words of wisdom to send uh, Sumit out on? I mean, honestly, I like the, the collaboration thing. You know, it's, it's all about building up each other and, and the famous, you know, rising tides lifting all boats. You know, say it's corny, say whatever. We built, I built a personal career and we built a very successful business largely on, on, on this attitude and this philosophy and this idea of collaborating and, and supporting each other and, and trusting each other, right? Of course, there's, there's limitations. You've got to be smart if, if, you know, about who you trust, but trusting each other is, is key, right? And, and um, many of the people who come on the Cannabis Hour have over the years opened their doors, you know, and shown us, uh, you know, their technologies and share their data. And, and that is unusual and worth highlighting. Well, Javi, I'm uh, surprised you didn't wrap that. Maybe next time we'll get one of your, <laughs> one of your uh, compilations. But I, yes. I, think, I think that's that's something the plant teaches us. And it's an important lesson to, to not only take away, but also to share. Usually we share. I mean, please don't share joints until we get a vaccine, but you can share the ritual. <laughs> you know, just to be clear, share the ritual, share the wrap, do what you got to do. Well, guys, thanks for a great uh, virtual happy hour. And I'm glad you guys are putting these events on. You've got, uh, you had some great folks uh, on the show and appreciate, appreciate being here. It's Thank our you. pleasure, Simon, man. We'll see you soon. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks, guys. See ya. All right, take care. And so for those of you with us, we really appreciate you joining. Javier, you are the man. It's always a pleasure to host these with you. Uh, it is my duty to ask our audience to like and subscribe to, to this YouTube page so that uh, you can be notified of the next version of this and uh, obviously have access to all the, the, uh, the previous presentations that we've done here. And... Um, and tune in next week. So he's pointing. You, you, you yeah. do it. I'm, I'm showing you. Know, just subscribe. There, there's the button right there. I love it. I love it when they do that. It's like they, when they do it on TikTok too, and they go poof, <laughs> and then something's there. So maybe Aaron can <laughs> edit something in to poof. Or tune in next week. We're talking ETFs. We got the major U.S. traded ETFs, and the debate will get hot, you know, because they have very different strategies and they're not afraid to point out what's wrong with each other's strategies. I love that too. I love it. And I love that one of them is brand spanking new, the MSO's ETF, which is really, really cool. So, And we got Dan Aaron's from Advisor Shares is one exactly. of the guests. So that should be hot. Yes, indeed. All right, my friends. Thank you, Javi. Thank you. Pleasure as always, brother. Thank you for joining, everyone. All right. Take care.
Introducing Under Armour's Infinity High Sports Bra. Its ergonomic design is molded to support the natural movement of your body. With cord-out padding, the better breathability eliminates extra bulk without sacrificing support. And quick-dry padding is Under Armour's fastest-drying padding yet. When you're lifting heavy, running fast, and pushing yourself further than ever before, you need a bra that will help you go that extra mile and make you feel your best. Shop the Infinity High Sports Bra now at UA.com. Jeep Freedom Days are here, where right now, well-qualified returning FCA lessees get a low-mileage lease on the 2022 Grand Cherokee WK Laredo E4x4 for $369 a month for 36 months with $3,799 due at signing. Tax title license extra. No security deposit required. Call 1-888-925-JEEP for details. Requires dealer contribution, a lease through Chrysler Capital. Lessee is responsible for termination fees. Current lease must end by 7-3-23. Extra charge for miles over 30000 Residency restrictions apply. Take delivery by 7-5-22. Jeep is a registered trademark.